Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Beth Bond, your host and curator of Sustainable News at Southeast Green, and we are going to be talking about sustainability. Surprise! Um, we are very honored to have Suhas Apti with us today. He is the co-author of the book, um, The Sustainability Edge. Mr. Apti is a senior executive with rich, diverse experience covering many facets of business management. Suhas has developed a valuable global perspective extensive CPG industry experience and sustainability credentials based on a broad career path working in Asia-Pacific developing markets in Europe and the United States. Suhas had several executive positions at Kimberly-Clark Corporation, including Global Sustainability Officer, President of Family Care of Europe, and Vice President of Baby and Child Care Business of Emerging Markets. He is president of Apti Consultants, a partner with the Blue Earth Network, a team helping businesses discover breakthrough opportunities and invent transformational solutions. He is also a member of the Forum of the Future for North America advisory team, and he has a mechanical engineering degree from India with an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. Welcome, Suhas. Thank you. Well, I can tell you are well qualified to be on this show. Kimberly Clark is a company we cover regularly on Southeast Green, and they have been very active in the sustainability uh, arena. Tell us a little bit how you got into sustainability. I think my journey to sustainability uh, happened uh, when I was a president of family care business in Europe, and for personal family reasons, I wanted to come back to United States. And luckily for me, a job was open called Chief Sustainability Officer, and company was looking at putting business person in charge of sustainability at that time, because historically, sustainability group was led either by technical folks or legal folks, and they wanted to make a shift change. So I was asked to take over that role, and uh, I think I took over the role. There are few things I delivered in, in that role. First, I think we created a vision for the next five years as to what Kimberly Clark wants to be in the next five years. Kimberly Clark was, as you said earlier, was an excellent company. They always took care of their own footprint, but we decided we want to establish our presence across the whole value chain. So we started looking at sourcing of raw materials all the way up to disposal of our of post-consumer use waste products. Then other stuff what we did also was, uh, when I joined Kimberly Clark, we were at odds with Greenpeace. Greenpeace had started many campaigns against Kimberly Clark, and we changed that whole relationship by recognizing that NGOs are 
subject matter experts, and we can learn something from them. And we have now formed a partnership with them to the point that before I left, we were sharing with them our long-range plans, and they were advising us on watchouts on our long-range plans. So I believe I was able to make the shift what the business was looking for, and the company has continued to strive in sustainability areas since then. Um, now, just in case people don't know who Kimberly Clark is, because it's one of those like major corporate um, players that uh, yeah, that, like, yeah, Kimberly Clark is a twenty yeah, 20, yeah, Kimberly Clark is a twenty billion dollar company. You probably know them more from their household brand names like Kleenex uh, facial tissue, Cartonell bathroom tissue, Viva paper towels, Huggies diapers, or Cotex uh, feminine napkins or depend uh, adult care pads. So we are mostly consumer-based, and we are also in B2B, away-from-home business, supporting businesses for their everyday consumer health and hygiene needs. Now, you have um, retired from sort of corporate world, I guess. Um, I believe I got that correct. And now you have just finished co-authoring a book called the sustainability edge. What drove you to sit down and tackle a book like this? Uh, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, Dr. Shade, who is a, a eminent professor at Embry University, I had been teaching one class of his uh, both bachelor and master's program for the last six, seven years. Uh, in the beginning, uh, first three, four years, I was usually talking about uh, global marketing because that's, I was a line manager in a global business. After I got the role as chief sustainability officer, Dr. Shade asked me, why don't you talk about sustainability? And for the last couple of years, I taught his one class at both bachelor's and master's level and talked about how to embed sustainability in businesses and my experiences. Uh, Dr. Shade came to me and he said, you know, you have rich experience, why not you and I team together and we write a book and I told him I've never written a book so he was kind enough to say he will mentor me and help me and that's where the genesis of the book came so there's been a lot of books written on sustainability what is your what was your unique approach to um, adding to the conversation I think uh, when you look at the, most of the sustainability books, they zero or focus in on only the environmental aspects. Uh, our book is designed mostly for business practitioners of how to embed sustainability while delivering the top-line growth with a triple bottom-line thinking because at the end of the day, business has to create value. That's the only way business becomes sustainable. So it is more a pragmatic book for business leaders of, of how to embed sustainability, still delivering the value what all the stakeholders are looking at. So you, you, the, the sustainability conversation is sort of this unique um, con, conjoined junction between business, community stakeholders, environmental groups, and government. What what is from your perspective as a corporate um, leader? What is your perspective, and how how we gain success by working with those groups? 
uh, I, I think the challenge is what uh, business leaders today face. And if I may take just a few seconds to walk you through what I, as a business leader myself, what I faced was number one, the growth in mature markets is flattening. Uh, there's a recognition in most of the companies that you require a different business model for developing in emerging markets. The resources which we took for granted in the past, which were vital for growth, are becoming scarier and costlier, forcing businesses to think about circular economy. I even posed the question to our chairman at Kimberly-Clark saying that our model at Kimberly-Clark, though the products what we make improve health and hygiene of everybody on a daily basis, our model long-term is not sustainable because we use single-use disposable products for this purpose. So we need to think about circular economy. Innovation, the rate is increasing, but the lifespan is declining because competitors are copying things faster. And what we think for granted that like water, with the climate change, water is disrupting the supply chain, water is impacting as a free resource, what we used to think. So we need to think of these things differently. So our book basically suggests that with all these challenges, company alone cannot solve this on their own. They need to energize and engage various stakeholders. And the whole book premise is on stakeholder sustainability initiatives. Now, the, I, there's been um, a lot of great things that happen. Um, I'm, I know you give examples in the book. Can you pick maybe your top two favorite examples? I think my f first top example will be, uh, I'll go with a, a stakeholder uh, NGO. And I mentioned to you earlier, uh, a lot of people, when they think of an NGO, they want to distance themselves. A lot of business leaders want to distance themselves thinking they are troublemakers. And our experience at Kimberly-Clark had been that what you need to do is start from the ground zero after you have done materiality analysis, identify what are the issues which are material to you, then identify who are the thought leaders and NGOs who can help you on those material issues. Start with a small project with that NGO, like we did with uh, Greenpeace, and then nurture and build that relationship so that they become partners with you, so they not only help you avoid business risk, but also help you grow the business across the world. So that's one example I would put. Another example I would suggest is on uh, consumer side of how to motivate consumer. And a best-in-class example I would give you is from Unilever. Uh, you know consumers make a choice every day. They have a vote every day in what products they select. And what Unilever has done is created a mission-driven approach to marketing by creating a big purpose for a, their brand called Dove. Dove redefined what real beauty stands for and it widened the definition of beauty so that the next generation grows up enjoying positive relationship with the way they look. Uh, 
then they designed sustainable products and services to make consumption meaningful for that Dove product. And then they communicated it in a very personal and relevant way. The approach they took was ask the question, what's in it for me? And to answer that question, that's how they're all their campaigns and real beauty campaigns came about. And they've continued to use social media to engage consumers. And they continue to educate, educate, and educate consumers on what a sustainable, real beauty brand is all about. How how important do you think the education of consumers is? It is paramount. Uh, if you look in our book, the the fifth point where we talk about the uh, action points, what we are ed- telling businesses to adopt, they talk about educating, educating, educating consumers. Consumers make a choice every day, and unless we engage and educate consumers, they would not be making the right choice. And what it's inherent and incumbent upon business leaders to figure it out how to communicate with those consumers, who should communicate with that consumers, what channels we should use to communicate with that consumers, because that will have a lasting impact on both the products businesses sell as well as for us to make this planet a, a more friendlier planet. Now, there there has been a great shift in consumer purchasing, and there's the consumers, I think, have been flexing a very strong sort of muscle, too, especially when you look at sort of, you know, the food arena. I mean, the food arena is changing so fast, no one can keep up. How, how do you see the consumers sort of influencing markets even faster than corporations? Well, I think uh, uh, consumers can influence markets, but at the same time, what one needs to do is company needs to be authentic in their communication. For example, today, a lot of consumers are confused on what is natural. Because everybody has, when you go on a shelf and watch the label natural, uh, so many companies have slapped natural on it, so it is confusing consumers. So the, the consumer is trying to change how things need to be worked on. At the same time, we need some regulations as well as we need some companies' forward-looking actions so that they are more authentic in how they are communicating and what they are communicating. You asked me for an example. Uh, a simple example I would give you, which each each one of us everyday face, is on waste collection. I think there is recognition, uh, and it is taught at the kindergarten level. Uh, I learned that myself from my kindergarten daughters, that when I used to throw away uh, papers which were typed on one side, they forced me to reuse the papers on the back side. And that's how the education starts. And this is what consumers can drive, is meaningful consumption and meaningful change in how we use the products and services. So everybody has a role to play, whether they're 85 or or in kindergarten. Everybody has a role to play. 
because at the end of the day this planet belongs to all of us so we've seen a lot of sort of um interesting changes in the last election cycle here in the US do you want to Take a stab at what you think is going to happen in regards to how corporations are going to respond to the new administration. Um, I, I think uh, the jury is out, but uh, I'm very positive that uh, responsible corporations will continue with the strides that they have made in improving sustainability because it's at the end of the day. unless they do that their businesses will not be sustainable moreover majority of the companies businesses are global in nature and not just us in nature so they will have to think about what they need to do to meet the growing demand and unfortunately the growth is only coming in emerging and developing markets which have embraced sustainability within united states uh California is the leader and they are putting in laws and stuff in place which is going to drive and manufacturers will realize that you cannot make two different products for United States one for California and one for outside because at the end of the day by making a sustainable product they win long term and that's what our book shows there's enough empirical evidence that companies who have embraced sustainability have also delivered higher financial returns to investors and shareholders so it's not choosing one or the other you can have both well and and that sort of begs an interesting question because for those of us in the the sustainability community we know um there are many examples unfortunately where corporations are making two products one for the european market or you know one for the for the developed world and then one for the US. <laughs> right. So, you know, they'll make it for Europe, Canada, Japan, Australia, you know, sort of all around the United States and then it comes back to the US and they're making a different product. Are are you seeing in your your um you know, your experience that businesses are are starting to think, well, maybe we need to think about one product instead of two products for the world. Well, I I I I think uh there are two aspects to it. Number one, the price points for the products what exist in united states are too high for emerging markets that's one of the primary reasons products are redesigned to meet the local needs but what has happened is because of local innovation in some of these emerging markets they are able to deliver the same benefits at lot lower cost and that innovation is coming back into united states give you an example uh x-ray machines today uh when ge started making x-ray machines they were in thousands and thousands of dollars uh they were reverse engineered in india that you can get a x-ray done for few thousand dollars and the learning what ge got from that experience they were able to bring that technology back into their base ge machines here so that they could reduce their cost and cost to the to the users here in united states so the flow is both ways you cannot just slap product made in usa i hope we don't do that because if we do that then there will be not enough resources available because 
the consumption in the United States is is not meaningful consumption. There's a lot of waste in the United States for a lot of consumer products as well as industrial products. Well, I don't think that anybody would disagree with that. Can you um, show, tell us, well, we've got time for one more question. Can you tell us a little bit about what Kimberly Clark was doing in regard, because I mean, they, they, they built their business on disposable products, but I know they've also done a lot of work in regards to sustainable forestry management and transportation of, of goods. So can you tell us a little bit more about what they've been doing? Sure. I think, uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you earlier, we moved from our own footprint to the value chain, and we started looking at uh, sourcing. And our very first uh, policy, what we put out when I was there, was that we will have all our uh, fiber sources come from a sustainable uh, certified source. So that was the first policy we put in place. Then you know there are multiple certifications available. Uh, in case of forestry, FSC, uh, which is uh, forest, uh, uh, FSC certification is the gold class certification. So we have put now a harder yardstick for ourselves that we will be more than 60% of our sourcing will be from FSC sourced forest products. That's on one end of the spectrum of value chain. Other end of the spectrum of value chain was on disposable, consumer use disposed products. In New Zealand, we started collecting, we have 75 share of the diaper business in New Zealand. We started collecting soil diapers from homes. We're mixing them with a green waste and creating composting material. We didn't do it ourselves. We had a third party whom we engaged, and third party had three revenue streams. Uh, they were collecting money from consumers to collect the soil diapers. It worked in New Zealand because in New Zealand you're allowed to throw only one garbage bag per day. And when you have babies per week, so when you have babies, you have a lot more garbage, and you end up paying more to the municipal corporations. So moms, instead of paying to municipal corporations, paid to this company. Uh, municipal corporations paid money for managing green waste and selling composting material. So it was a self-sustained, profit-generating model. And we expanded that from Christchurch to two other cities in New Zealand. So we are always looking at opportunities of how to create a circular uh, economy. Uh, we did that when healthcare was part of Kimberly Clark also. We were concerned about we make all the disposable gowns, caps, gloves. So we created a, a mechanism whereby we were collecting things from the hospital and we were repurposing it into making office benches and stuff like that. So we were conscious at both ends, from sourcing end as well as to the post-consumer use end. That is a great story. I'm not sure we would ever be able to make that work in the United States, but I love it that it could work in New Zealand. We are running out of time, and I just appreciate your time so much, and it's been really great to talk to you and hear some of the stories from the experience of working in the Sustainability Corporation. Give us give us some um information in regards if people want to, you know, purchase the book or get more information um, and contact you. 
the if, if somebody wants to purchase the book you can buy the book on amazon you can buy the book directly from university of toronto press or barnes and noble we have created a website called the sustainabilityedge.com you can go on to that site you can get the first chapter free for for your reading you can also send us uh, notes and your thoughts you can order the book from there we have also created an audit tool for corporations to judge where they are on their sustainability journey and online tool is available on that website so it is free for companies to use that tool and you can always communicate to me directly through the website because any comments you send comes to me great <coughs> excuse me thank you so much for your time and we wish you the best of luck with the book thank you very much beth i appreciate it thank you for the opportunity to share our experiences with green south <coughs> okay thank you bye 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 I'm having a bit of a coughing fit. Um, thank you so much to Suhas. It was very interesting. <coughs> oh, my goodness. So, anyway, we have a salad buffet coming up in two weeks. On speaking of green, please remember that if you listen to this as a podcast, you give us a thumbs up. And Southeast Green is available 24-7 at southeastgreen.com. Thanks. We'll see you on the next episode. (gasps) Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.